All right, we are back. We did something we never have done before in this program, which was um, take a break during our break to allow Mr. Miller to edit the first tab so we could buy more time to see any breaking news on the networks, which unfortunately there hasn't been much of. Although I think I do need to point out, Mr. Millen is, is, is telling me that uh, apparently Kanye West has now conceded in the race. Oh. And uh, no, we're not going to go into that. Uh, uh, Kanye apparently was on the California ballot as the vice presidential choice under Roque de la Fuente topping the ticket. And, you know, I think actually the less we know about that, the better. Yes, uh, I, I do know someone that voted for Roque. Apparently, he went to, to high school with his son. So anyway, Drew, who, who is a real estate agent, informed me that he, he voted for Roque and, uh, and Kanye. I suggested to him that in the event of Roque prevailing, he should try to get in the cabinet as the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. Yeah, when I suggest that, he said to me, well, there won't be a, a De La Fuente administration. And uh, I have to admit, I, I knew that. Anyway, just looking at CNN, they were saying they may have the results from Pennsylvania tonight. You know, May. We warn you about any, any headlines that start with May on this program. At any rate, given the court challenges, I, I think it's, uh, I really, actually, I don't know. We just, we're flying by the seat of our pants here. If several hours from now they declare that Pennsylvania has flipped to the Biden camp, well, hallelujah. I mean, if that happens, Biden's president. And the same is true for Georgia. If Georgia flips tonight and they announce it, well, then it's game, set, match. But we're, we're wondering why it is that Arizona has slowed to zero. There's been no change in the Arizona results since yesterday, even though they're supposedly at like a 95%. And um, Nevada is plugging along at like something like 90%. And before the break, we talked about how they were saying, like, yeah, we might have this by Saturday, Sunday. I don't know. All levity aside, we just, we're just, we're just sweating this one out, hoping that, you know, when it's all said and done, they're going to declare this thing for Joe Biden. There was a lot of thought here that there, was, there would have to be a blue tsunami to put Biden in the White House. And we're sad to note that, you know, by our reckoning, there probably was a blue tsunami but it has been neutralized to the point where it's now a nail-biter. You can bet your ass that when we have Greg Pallast on the show next week, he will, uh, he will wax philosophic on this very topic at, at some length. The fact of the matter is, as we've documented for years and years on this program, the deck is heavily stacked against progressive forces, I guess you'd say. There's been extensive gerrymandering in this country to make sure that we um, thwart democracy, I guess is the best way to put it. We do have to correct an error we made in the first uh, half of this program that, that we thought this, there was a loss of House seats. Uh, it looks, that it looks as though in Congress right now there has been a gain to the Democrats, but again, the votes are not all counted. We shall see. Here in the California ballot props, it appears that Uber and Lyft got their way and convinced everybody that all these drivers want to remain independent contractors. I suspect they don't, but... You know, Looking at the ads, everybody in the ads seemed like they wanted to wanted to remain that way. I was especially uh, depressed to see that probably the dirtiest campaign I've seen in many, many years. In this case, it was in Alameda County. I'm not going to go into the names, but the guy that was the guy that was just running a just slanderous campaign against his opponent apparently won, and, I, and I'm just I'm not happy to see that. His opponent had said, "Well, he's a real estate developer." 
and his friends are real estate developers, and he's got lots of money. And you might just want to think about how well it's worked out in the United States in general, having a real estate developer in charge of things. Seems like that's a bit of a cheap shot, but no, I, I, think, I think that's a fair assessment, actually. And uh, as we speak, I'm looking down at the polling data. I printed it up from 270 to win on all of what the states were showing, consensuses of the various polling uh, information. And wow, it does appear that all over the country there was a several percentage point swing to Trump, which frankly, frankly, is hard to understand. Another poll they were just showing on the networks was uh, a look at who would you trust more to handle the COVID pandemic? And it looks as though by a 53 to 41% margin, Americans think Biden might do a better job. And we have to pause, take a deep breath, and wonder aloud how it could possibly be that if the 41% of the public thinks that Trump is a guy you want to continue to trust to handle the pandemic based on his track record. And by the way, let's refer you again to the website we're, we're very pleased to be a part of, trumppandemic.net. It will be continued during the interregnum period between the election and the inauguration. We think that no matter who is declared the winner, the COVID date is going to remain pretty damn valid. And we will continue to try and make suggestions as to how things can be managed better. And since things couldn't possibly be managed worse than they have been to date, well, we're we're looking forward to that. By the way, there's not, not a whole lot of secrets in, in, this, uh, in, in these proposals that are going to come out of uh, us and be and you're going to find on that website. Um, the truth is, if you test people and you contact trace and you isolate them and people exercise uh, caution by wearing masks and trying to do social distancing and not unduly exposing themselves in public, well, at this point, that's what we can do. And if we do these things, it will help immensely. Mr. Miller and I both hope that most people we know will be able to stay out of the obituary column. Well, I, I would hasten that. Now, not everybody. As Mark Twain once said, I've never killed a man, but I have read some obituaries with pleasure. However, this might be a good juncture to mention an obituary we're going to read with, with great displeasure. We, we may have made mention, I don't remember if we did or not, Mr. Millen, some time back of the passing of the Amazing Randy. James Randy was quite a guy. He made an appearance in, uh, in Ohlone College in the Bay Area a few years back and asked for a doctor in the house to assist him, and I, and I volunteered. So I got to uh, share the stage with uh, the great James Randy, at least uh, briefly. Did you show him a trick or two? I, did, in fact, did not show him a trick or two. I just stood by like a dope while he overdosed, quote-unquote, overdosed himself on a homeopathic sleep remedy and demonstrated to the audience that... Well, you really can't overdose on a homeopathic sleep remedy because, well, there's nothing in the pills that do anything. Of course, if you're into homeopathy, you believe, well, that's when it works best, when you've got tiny fractional amounts. If you do a trillion-to-one dilution, it works better. Anyway, I know we have at least one former listener. I think he's, at this point, a former listener who was very, very big on homeopathy. He might still be miffed at the email that I sent him some time ago. The title of it was An Explanation of How Homeopathy Works. When you clicked on it, it said, it doesn't. Anyway, sad to report, James Randy passed a week or so ago. I have his obituary in front of me from the week, which I think we'll read. They noted that James Randy loved to dazzle audiences with magic. As an illusionist and escape artist from the 1940s to the 1970s, 
The amazing Randy employed sleight of hand and Houdini-like tactics to extricate himself from a straitjacket while dangling upside down over Niagara Falls. And to set the longest time in a block of ice record, 55 minutes if you're keeping score, and being sealed in an underwater coffin for one hour and 44 minutes. James Randi, as you probably know, loathed quacks who used magic tricks to swindle and defraud people. In his later career, he worked tirelessly to out faith healers, psychics, seers, and spoonbenders, revealing how they used simple physical deceptions to fool people into believing they'd seen something inexplicable. I, I know I pause this moment to think of a trick he did during his performance at Ohlone College. As I can recall it, a woman was given a book asked to randomly pick a page out of that book and then randomly select a word that was on that page. The woman did as she was asked. And Randy said, have you got the word? She said yes. And then he threw the word at her that she was looking at. There was a lot of ooing an audience at the audience at that point, to which he said, you know, that wasn't a mentalist trick. That was a trick I just did. But darn it, he didn't explain how the trick worked. And personally, I'd like to know. But unfortunately for me, Randy's gone now, and he never told me. He was born Randall James Hamilton Zwingay in Toronto to a telephone company executive father and homemaker mother. A child prodigy with reputedly an IQ of 168, he often cut class to educate himself at the library, where, among other things, he learned to read hieroglyphics. That's according to the Daily Telegraph in the UK. The shy youngster found that performing magic tricks boosted his confidence, and at age 15, he got his first taste of debunking. That's according to the New York Times obituary. Watching a local preacher who claimed he could divine the contents of sealed envelopes, the boy stood up and revealed that the man had opened the envelopes earlier. At 17, James Randi, by then a traveling escape artist, sprang himself from the Quebec jail, leading a newspaper to nickname him L'Entente Randi, which translates to as The Amazing Randi. He was a sophisticated showman and an inexhaustible self-promoter. James Randi appeared on The Tonight Show 32 times, said the Washington Post, often to expose those who claimed otherworldly abilities. In the 1980s, he famously revealed that faith healer Peter Popoff, who made $500,000 a month diagnosing and quote-unquote curing audience member afflictions, wore an earpiece to which his wife radioed him the information. Randy also obsessively pursued Uri Geller, I guess it's Uri Geller, the Israeli mentalist who claims to bend spoons and other mental objects through telepathy. He showed on live TV how it was that Geller was using pre-bent cutlery. In 1996, he founded the James Randy Educational Foundation and offered a prize of $1 million to anyone who could prove paranormal powers under scientific conditions. By Randy's retirement in 2015, thousands had applied, but not a cent had been awarded. We did reach out to James Randy a few months ago to try and get him back on the program, but evidently his health had declined by that point, and his, uh, his partner had to give us the bad news that he was no longer doing interviews. But we're grateful for the one that we did get, which you can pull up on our website at radioparallax.com. Type in James Randy and listen away. Anyway, it looks as though we're kind of stymied right now and talking too much more about election that just took place, and, and we're sick of talking about COVID, so we're going to give that a bit of a rest today. So I guess we're going to wind up doing what we like to do in this program, normal stuff, which for us includes one of our favorite segments, the good, 
the bad and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week this past week for travel. With the news that Costa Rica has reopened its borders to tourists from the U.S. and elsewhere. And is not requiring them to get negative COVID-19 tests before entry. Turns out the pandemic has hammered the tourism-dependent nation. The unemployment rate has soared to 20% and the economy is forecast to shrink 5% this year. President Carlos Alvarado Quesada has proposed austerity measures such as higher taxes and frozen wages to secure a $1.5 billion loan from the IMF. But he scrapped the idea in early October after days of street protests. Instead, the plan is to make it easier for tourists to come to Costa Rica, which I'm here to tell you is an idea that might turn out to have some flaws. And in fact, America's CDC is warning U.S. citizens against non-essential travel to Costa Rica because... Coronavirus cases are, in fact, rising there. Anyway, I got to confess, I love Costa Rica. Wonderful little country. Great place to visit. Lots of things to see. Lots of things to do. And the food's pretty good, too. But I think I'm going to hold off. And we suggest you think about that one. It was, on the other hand, a bad week last week for privilege. With the news that um, White House senior advisor... And real estate heir, oh, and also the first son-in-law, Jared Kushner, said on Fox News that many black people don't want to be successful, which explains why they stay mired in all the problems that they're complaining about. You know, now, there's a job for Kanye West. He might want to sit down and explain some facts of life to the young Jared Kushner. And while he's at it, maybe give him a boot in the ass. Now, mind you, Radio Parallax is not advocating for boots in the ass. But we do understand why it is in certain instances it it might be beneficial. And speaking of race relations, and I guess we are, we have to point out it was kind of an ugly week for race relations, in our opinion, when last week a professor from the University of Massachusetts said that referring to famous composers by their last name was racist and sexist. Writing in Slate.com, Chris White argued that using mononames like Mozart or Beethoven suggests that they're on a different plane from suppressed non-white and non-male composers and that we need the full name of all composers to not perpetuate oppression. You know, that might be something else to pose to Kanye or Prince, but or Prince, but yes, he's dead. But yes, uh, I look forward to seeing the full names of all the rap stars being spelled out in the future. So we can make darn sure we're not perpetuating any oppression out there. We feel confident that both Cher and Madonna will back us up on this. All right, here's an item that's neither COVID nor election related, but it is political. And frankly, I can't resist it. According to the Washington Post, the word is that President Trump's Mar-a-Lago resort billed taxpayers for everything from food, wine, and candles to a $6,000 floral arrangement and two $3 bottles of water for Trump and Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe during a meeting held there between the heads of state 
in April of 2018. These disclosures came from a report published in the Post, which found that Trump properties have billed American taxpayers at least $2.5 million for expenses accrued during the president's 280-plus visits. Yes, 280-plus visits while in office. The actual spending may be greater because some federal agencies have refused to release records. In addition, the Post found that the Trump Organization has earned another $5.6 million from Trump's campaign and fundraising committee. We would remind you that before taking office, Trump promised to completely isolate himself from his businesses. He said in the campaign trail, If I win, I may never see my properties. I may never see these places again. Yep, there's that word may again. Yeah, it turns out that may never see them again worked out to 280 Mar-a-Lago visits. And last year, I mean, it was the year before, we, we speculated on this program about this mysterious malady afflicting U.S. diplomats down in Havana. There was uh, a suspicion that the Russians uh, might have been behind it, and that suspicion is now increasing. This week, GQ reports that CIA investigators have determined that Russian agents were in close proximity to many of the American victims, which included government workers posted in Cuba, China, Russia, Australia, and even the U.S. The Russian agents were in close proximity to many of these victims when they fell ill. The suspicion is that Russia has developed a microwave weapon that can be beamed through walls and windows, damaging their target's brains. Russian officials called the theory nonsense. Said Foreign Ministry spokeswoman Maria Zarakova, I will not try to confirm that they are victims of an acoustic attack, paranoia, or Russophobia. That's a question for the doctors. All right. Well, as a doctor, I'm asking that question. How is it so many people got pretty sick and had some very strange symptoms that apparently had reproducible neurological findings? There's something going on here. And uh, when they learn more, we'll, we'll report on it. And if scientists and doctors suddenly discover that there's a secret organ in your head that's been missed by everybody up till now, we'll report on that too, which I guess we need to do now. Because, what do you know, researchers in the Netherlands say that while scanning prostate and urethral gland cancer patients, they inadvertently discovered a new organ in a nook, in the nasal passage, where the nasal, it's where the nasal cavity meets the throat. There's apparently a pair of large salivary glands there, They've examined 100 patients to confirm their suspicion that these mysterious organs, which they've named the tuberial glands, are present in everybody. If this is confirmed, it will be the first such discovery of its kind in about 300 years. The researchers say the organ likely moistens the upper part of the throat and may explain why people undergoing radiation therapy for cancer often experience chronic dry mouth or sometimes have issues with swallowing. Doctors try to avoid zapping salivary glands during radiation therapy for this very reason. The tuberial glands, I guess the quote tuberial glands, unquote, have probably remained hidden all these years because of their location. Notes the Netherlands Cancer Institute, it is not very accessible and you need very sensitive imaging to detect it. Well, there you go. Another area of medicine we need to discuss, not today, but at some future point, needs to be the issue of abortion and the possibility of Roe v. Wade being rolled back by the current uh, Supreme Court of the United States. A friend was visiting me the other day, and we got talking about uh, the Bible. In this case, we're, we're musing on some of the things that are in the Bible that people find hard to believe are there, but are. 
And conversely, some of the things that everybody believes are there, but aren't. And included in that latter category would be any any condemnation of abortion. Now, I know that you may believe that it's there. You may have heard that it's there. You may have Christian friends that have assured you that it's there. But I promise you, if you put them on the spot and ask them to cite chapter and verse where that is, they're going to come up short. And I know the cheat is to claim that thou shalt not kill gets you there, but it doesn't. If thou shalt not kill covered all death under all circumstances, you'd have a pretty tough time explaining all these massacres that took place in the Bible that are written about very favorably. But you know what? We're not going to get into that today. Except, dear listener, if you want to learn more about that, we suggest you pick up your Bible and read about what happened at Jericho. It wasn't very nice, and frankly, there's no excuse for it. Now, speaking of fetal death that does involve murder, and how's that for a segue? Yours truly is thoroughly disgusted to see that California courts, in this case the California State Supreme Court, has ordered a review of the verdict that put Scott Peterson behind bars for a long time. Now, according to reports on this, the California Supreme Court rarely issues orders like the one they issued in the Scott Peterson case. They usually limit themselves to sentences, not verdicts. But in this case, uh, the order from the state's highest court called for, quote, an order to show cause, unquote. It asked the trial court to determine whether Peterson should be granted a new trial on the grounds that juror number seven committed prejudicial misconduct. She did not disclose some prior legal involvements, including but not limited to being the victim of a crime. Yes, apparently because of this supposed major irregularity in one of the jurors, the state may have to retry Scott Peterson. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna rehash the case here, but suffice it to say that when you you know you tell people that you were off fishing in Berkeley while your wife disappears and the authorities ask you what you were fishing for and you're stuck for an answer. And it turns out that one of your hobbies apparently is making cement anchors. Well, we would suggest that it's probably more than a coincidence that his wife and uh, eight-month-old unborn child washed up along the shoreline in Berkeley, not far from where he went fishing that day in 2002. We just don't think it's a coincidence. Anyway, we're not huge fans of uh, the American judicial system here in this program. And when we talk about how we're going to get it cranked up, and working for us in election 2020, well, that does make me break out in a bit of a sweat. And we're sad to note that somebody who struck a major blow in American history against abortion by by her advocacy of other means of birth control, which were better methods. And yes, it's Margaret Sanger we're talking about here. Been sitting on an item since last summer, which noted that Planned Parenthood of Greater New York announced that it was going to remove Margaret Sanger's name from the Manhattan Health Center. The grounds were Sanger's eugenic ideas and alliances, which for years have been highlighted by anti-abortion advocates and minimized by her admirers. It's pretty amazing to look back and realize that it was just 100 years ago that women got the vote in America and that the women who advocated for birth control, just methods of birth control, had a pretty hard slog, to which I want to add that, you know, as a fallen Catholic myself, when I see people talking about how important it is to, uh, to, to I guess, validate isn't, isn't quite the right word, respect, maybe, 
church dogma on matters like birth control. It's a little bit scary when you realize that, well, I guess the Supreme Court pretty much going Catholic these days. Used to be that you had to either be from Harvard or Yale or be Catholic or Jewish. At least at least that was the case a couple years back. Everybody fit into that matrix. And I guess we've broken the Harvard-Yale monopoly, but I think it still stands at six Catholics and three Jews. Am I wrong? I don't know. And you know, we've only got a few minutes left, so I don't think we have time to do the obituary of Sean Connery. But I've always wondered, how it is a supposed Scottish actor has such dark hair and dark skin? My suspicion is this has something to do with the Spanish Armada's failed attempt to attack England back in 1588. I know they tried to sail home by going around the British Isles and didn't quite make it. I know a lot of Spaniards came ashore and and inbred with the local population. I don't know whether that's going to do with Sean Connery or not. That's just my suspicion. And this is the kind of day and this is the kind of show where we're just going to throw some stuff out. All right, we put off uh, checking the latest numbers here to the last possible minute. We've just taken a slight break to do that. And it appears that in both Pennsylvania and Georgia, the gap is narrowing dramatically, meaning that either state might well go for Biden, and we hope they do, and the sooner the better. The numbers in Arizona have made, remained lock solid, not moving anywhere, and Nevada's not going anywhere, so we're just going to assume that Fox News got it right. That's an unusual thing for us to say. But we think Arizona is in the Biden camp. He stands at 264, and God knows. It looks like he's going to win at least one of the four remaining states. Either Nevada or Georgia or Pennsylvania. They're all looking very good for Team Biden. He only needs to carry one of the three. We don't think he's going to get North Carolina, so we'll write that one off. But, you know, one of the above. Nevada, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Joe Biden's president, Trump gets his walking paper. Trump gets his walking papers. Well, well, more more likely, the judicial fight begins, but he probably won't prevail. Comma, we hope. Full stop. We hope when we speak to you next, we will not be heartbroken by seeing this uh, escape us and seeing four more years of Donald Trump. Anyway, let's close from some words from The Economist. They ended one of their articles with, try and stay serene and calm. Okay, we're trying. Referring to the Trump presidency, the magazine asked, how permanent is the damage? Some things can be put back together quickly if, as it seems likely, Mr. Biden wins the election. America could rejoin the Paris Agreement on climate change right away. America's favorability ratings around the world might bounce back, as they did when Mr. Obama replaced George W. Bush. But the fact that America can elect rogue presidents won't be forgotten. The late Samuel Huntington, a political scientist, suggested that two changes of power were needed before democracy could be considered firmly entrenched. Perhaps two changes of presidents will be needed to reassure the world about America. Well, let's hope the first change starts real soon. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett, and I'm going to have my eyes glued to the screen, seeing what's going to happen in Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Mr. McMillan. Georgia, Georgia, the whole day through, just an old sweet song keeps Georgia. On my mind 
Georgia Georgia A song of you Comes as sweet and clear As moonlight Through the pines 